Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. To live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Ron Malhotra is an award-winning wealth planner, renowned thought leader, entrepreneur, international best-selling author, speaker, and business mentor. He is also the founder of The Successful Mail and the managing director of Maple Tree Wealth Management and the Black-Footed Business Advisors. I also had the honor of being in his magazine, The Successful Mail, recently. Ron's content has been viewed over 100 million times, and he's been featured in Forbes, Money Magazine, Yahoo Finance, NBC, CNN, Huffington Post, Thrive Global, Entrepreneur Magazine, and many more publications and media. He is known by his students as the mentor who can see into your soul and unleash your superpower. A student recently described that Ron is the mentor who sees through your bullshit and won't accept any of your excuses. Everyone, this is why Ron's on here, because we think very much the same way and our philosophies are very much aligned. Ron, it's been way too long. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here today, my friend. Thank you, Marcus. As I was saying, I admire everything that you stand for, and I've watched your journey closely for the last few years. And so it's a pleasure to be here because I know that you're one of the few authentic voices who embodies what he believes and what he preaches. So thank you for having me. Thank you for being here, and I appreciate that. And speaking of people that are authentic and true, for those that don't know, you're in Australia right now. So again, actions, not words. There's been a lot of turmoil all over the world for everyone with COVID, but for some of us, it's been harder than others. Can you give us a little bit of a taste of what it was like there for you and, again, how you were able to adapt and embrace adversity to grow stronger? Yeah, I think the last two and a half or three years have been tough on everybody. We're in Melbourne, Australia, which was, I think, the most locked down city in the world. We saw a real strong response by the government to the pandemic. And it can be argued that it was very panic based and there wasn't enough due diligence done, or I don't think they looked at the unintended consequences of the actions that they took. And consequentially, I think we've got now, we seem to be in a bit of an economic crisis. We seem to be a bit of a mental health crisis here. Although last weekend I was in the commercial part of town and things do seem to be going back to normal, I'm not so optimistic about where this is going. So I've been a little bit skeptical for the last sort of three years, which I mentioned to you before the commencement of this podcast. So I personally don't know what to think about what's going on, but I do know that if Australia was a company and if the government were the directors of the company, I think that they'd have a lot to answer for. Now, I don't claim that I understand the complexity of the job. I do, but the reality is that I've, I've seen a very uh, coordinated narrative across some of the G7 countries and I've got questions and, I, and I'm just wondering why is it that people can't even ask questions these days. I never thought that in Australia, which is a very liberated country, we, that we would ever get to this point where any type of questioning the science or questioning the government narrative would be considered 
dissent and be cancelled and censored. So I think we're in interesting times. For me as a man, it's not about becoming pessimistic, but it's about understanding realistically what's going on. I think the challenge is twofold. On one hand, I've got to look and see, well, where do I think this is likely to go and what can I do to prepare myself and my family for it? And the second part is, should I only be concerned about me and my family or should I really be also concerned about the bigger picture and do we have responsibility as men to find out what's going on and do something about it? I don't have the answers. I'm still very much like most people trying to figure out what's going on and I haven't been able to get to the bottom of it. But I think I have enough common sense and research capability to know that something doesn't seem right. Agreed. I mean, you've built a huge business and you understand how things move around. And again, to have so many things that sort of overlap perfectly, that have this similar narrative and verbiage again, like you say, sometimes there are too many things to be coincidences. And it's important for us, as you were saying, we have to have this independence. We have to have this ability so many times people are concerned maybe about the physicality, but not their financial, or they're so concerned about the financial, but not their mental health or not the relationships at home. Again, within chaos, there is always opportunity. If we are willing to wade into adversity, knowing that we have a skill set to survive and thrive, it empowers us. But at the same time, we really get to know what we're made of when our back is against the wall. And I think that the last couple of years has been a big gut check for everyone. And it shined a big light on the weaknesses that maybe we could get away from before, or maybe we could act like wasn't there before. Denial doesn't help anybody, especially in situations like this. So this is a big wake-up call for everyone. Well, interestingly, I've been quite vocal about the fact that Australia has had 29 years of uninterrupted prosperity. And there is a saying that good times produce weak men, weak men produce hard times, hard times produce strong men, strong men produce good times, and good times produce weak men. I specifically make mention to men because I do think that it's a man's job pretty much to defend, protect, and fight. And so I feel that it appears to me that we have a lot of people who are possibly indoctrinated. And, you know, if you look at indoctrination, it's just brainwashing. And I've just written a book on indoctrination, which is going to be released in a month. And the title of the book is Indoctrinated, How the Conventional Education System Perpetuates mediocrity, conformity, and indistinguishability. I've attempted to make a case for the fact that there seems to be a correlation between the number of years you spend in institutions, schools, universities, and corporations, and the level of indoctrination that you're likely to experience. The problem is that the way we measure success in our society is based on career positions, designations, and financial status. And I do think that they are part measures of success but you can be somebody who can be quite influential, well-positioned, a figure of authority, financially successful, and still be very indoctrinated. The issue is that an individual who is indoctrinated can't always see that they're indoctrinated. And that's the issue because academic, professional education, skills education doesn't necessarily result in the level of self-awareness that an individual needs to become holistically successful. And I think, and I've been actually talking about this for a number of years, but I think the last two and a half years have definitely confirmed for me that you can be exceptional in your field and still lack self-awareness emotional awareness and not see that there's potential for brainwashing. 
I just see the blanket response that has in for the pandemic that has come from the major governments, that's come from medical boards, medical practitioners, and employers who have mandated certain things. And I just feel like there wasn't sufficient investigation. There wasn't room to question things. And all of those are signs of indoctrination. Now, when I actually looked at indoctrination, there are only three steps you need to indoctrinate a person or a whole group. Step number one is repeat the message often. It's really as simple as that. Second is to create an emotional response, a fear-based response in the receiver. And third is to have the message endorsed by people of authority. Okay. They're the only three steps required to indoctrinate anybody. Now, why do I say that people are indoctrinated? Well, it's because you have some information that is coming out through the mainstream. And then you have an alternative narrative that is also there, but it's not being promoted through the mainstream. So I tested this. I have a number of ex-corporate colleagues and some very intellectual professionals that I have known over the years people in executive positions, well-qualified, well-educated intellectually. I'll just put that there because you can be educated. And as I said, you can be highly intellectual and still be lacking on intuitive capabilities and creative capabilities. So I took some of that narrative that was coming from alternative channels and I tested this. I said, look, why don't you have a look at this and tell me what you think? And in 90% more of cases, the information was dismissed without any analysis, without any observation, which was pretty consistent with what I was expecting anyway. So I can understand somebody rejecting a piece of information or perspective, but I can't understand, after critical examination, but I can't understand instantly dismissing a piece of information without having the curiosity to even look into it. To me, that spells a dangerous world where we are very quick to embrace a set of beliefs that make us feel comfortable about our choices. And we are very quick to dismiss things that may make us reflect on our choices. And the way we've got right now, the world, the world is structured in such a way that people who have large amounts of access to large amounts of data, information, or knowledge are considered to be wise. But the reality is very different. Information plays in five different realms. You've got data, information, knowledge, insights, and wisdom. You can be somebody who has access to a lot of information and still be devoid of wisdom. It's a very big possibility. And I think anyone that's not seeking the truth and is not prepared to go through the discomfort of discovering the truth simply because it causes some sort of cognitive dissonance in them, it can be argued that they're not really wise. They may be intellectual, but they may not be wise. And that's why I was very passionate about the changing of the education system. The first step is to acknowledge that just because you're intellectually smart doesn't mean that you are smart in all areas of your life. You can be extremely good at what you do, but still be absolutely deficient when it comes to self-awareness, emotional intelligence, health and nutrition, spirituality, money management, relationships, psychology, leadership. And so for me, it was just understanding because I've, I've always been the type of person who really values anything that's holistic. I don't think that things work in isolation. If you want to become really intelligent in life, you can't just study one field. And I think what specialization has done is we have over 1 billion knowledge workers that know a lot about very little. And so when we have a crisis like this, the current crisis, what ends up happening is they tend to go down a narrow tunnel and they're unable to allow themselves to experience any information that's going to cause them any disturbance. And so I think and that's a big part of emotional intelligence that's missing in a lot of intellectuals and professionals. 
So up until now, a lot of people would not dare challenge people who are in positions of authority because society considers them to be successful. But I have made an attempt to say, hey, I whilst I acknowledge the fact that as a professional, as an intellectual, you're very accomplished in your field, there are gaps in how you think. And I'm trying to sort of bring that to their attention. And it's not an easy thing to do because there's a lot of ego where there is accomplishments. There absolutely is. And as you were mentioning, it means nothing to have a lot of knowledge and anybody can repeat wise words, but wisdom takes life experience. So to be in this place where we have all this knowledge and then we believe that this volume of knowledge equates to intelligence, but it doesn't matter what I know. It doesn't matter what I've learned. If I don't know who I am, it means nothing. And if I'm not putting this stuff into play, it's the equivalent of ignorance. I can read all the books in the world and, and do a Google search on whatever it is that I need and have this information at my fingertips. But again, until we go to that place where we truly have that self-knowledge and the only way to get there, again, the gateway to that self-knowledge is adversity. The gateway to that is to be able to sit with even cognitive dissonance, sit there with it and say, this is uncomfortable, but I need to learn what's going on. I need to see why am I pushing back against this? Why is this causing me this dissonance? In fact, when we learn how to suffer, we suffer much less. When we learn to just be at one with it and accept it for what it is without radical acceptance, we don't get triggered. We don't get this emotional response. Emotions assassinate the truth. And I think that especially in the last few years, we have seen that. We've seen many people that because they happen to be in this position, that means that they're the authority and therefore they get the last word or they can pretty much shut anybody up that they want, like you said, even with the cancel kind of ideal. But in the end, the scarier thing about that is that bleeds over into the way that the young people think, the indoctrination. So if they're thinking even internally, they never question themselves. They never question why they're doing something. They never question the emotion. So they don't even have the capacity to begin to learn how to have that true self-knowledge. They don't even understand what's going on. They simply go from one shiny object to the next distraction, no matter how stylized or how entertaining that may be. And now there is no substance. And then they continue to go through society in that manner. And what does that do? That continues to breed that sort of behavior throughout everything that they do. Well, that's right. And that's why I say that having a high developed IQ is not a substitute for EQ. Because one of the first components of EQ, emotional intelligence, is self-awareness, emotional management. And what my observation tells me is that the more intellectual somebody is, the less capability they have when it comes to self-reflection, unless they've done a lot of work outside of what they've been taught through schools, universities, and corporations. Because we have to understand there is a social construct out there. Everything that we learn through the institutions is heavily curated and controlled. And if you want to move from being a professional to becoming an expert or an authority, you have to take the information that you have been given and you have to put it through scrutiny and independent analysis. You have to apply your own independent observation before you can identify that information as being true and correct. So what I do as an example, I've spent a number of years in the finance industry. When I got educated in the finance industry, I was told certain things about how things work. But the question is, where is this information coming from? University curriculums are heavily curated. It's possible that a lot of fund managers have influence over how those curriculums are created. And so we are taught certain things. Now, that's fine. We, I've been told a lot of things. But before I start to transfer that to my clients as the absolute truths, I have, as a true professional, 
who wants to build expertise in my area, I have a professional responsibility to scrutinize this information by doing some independent analysis and observations and saying, hey, who else is endorsing this information out there that is not part of an organized group? That's really critical. So if there are another 500 people all over the world that are not a part of an organized group and they're all endorsing what I've just learned, then there is a higher probability that that must be the truth. Then the third aspect is that I applied on myself to see if I get any consistent outcomes. If I'm also getting consistent outcomes, that's further proving to me that this must be the truth. Then I teach or preach or advise on it. And then I see if my clients and my mentees are also getting outcomes. Now we can see logical consistency and empirical evidence all the way through. And so now we can be quite certain And we can be convicted about preaching that message because now we have validated that message, tested it, and scrutinized it. What I find is a lot of professionals don't do that. And they're in charge of advising us. They could be medical professionals. They could be legal professionals. And what they do is they have been given a very curated and controlled curriculum. And they just regurgitate what they've learned without, as we've seen in the past, let's just talk about health and nutrition. I remember the times when we were being told not to have eggs because they cause high cholesterol and not to have red meat. I understand that there are, and certainly there are nuances in this, but a lot of the advice was not nuanced. That was coming from doctors and and medical professionals. I really started to question, you know, we hold a lot of these people in very high regard and authority. In our minds, we just assume that they can't be wrong, but we can't make that determination unless we understand how they were educated and whether they were prepared to put themselves through the discomfort of self-reflection and engaging with information that contradicts their beliefs. That's how you really become a true professional. In fact, that's how you get out of the professional domain and you become an expert or an authority in your field. Because it's so easy for me to just read a few books and start regurgitating the content, but I must analyze it from 360-degree perspective to ensure that what I have learned is in fact the truth. And if there are nuances, it's my responsibility to communicate those nuances. And that's what I didn't like about the pandemic approach. It bothered me that we had politicians and we had the judiciary and we had medical professionals who were giving blanket advice. I mean, imagine, I couldn't do that. I couldn't just say, hey, everybody should invest in this particular stock or everybody should buy this piece of real estate. I couldn't do that because it's wrong because every individual circumstances are different. So how did we get to this point now where professionals are allowed to dispense blanket advice without being scrutinized, without being questioned? And when they are questioned or scrutinized, we cancel the people who are questioning them or we start to label them as conspiracy theorists to discredit them fast. Well, maybe they are conspiracy theorists, but maybe they're not. We're not going to know that unless we're at least open to listening to their views. So what happened to all the conversations about diversity and inclusion? Last 10 years, corporates been talking about diversity and inclusion. Hey, so that was all lip service, right? Because we can see now that all of that stuff corporates have been pushing as part of their corporate social responsibility. Where is it now? What happened? How can we so easily we are dismissing any voice that questions us? And how can we not even reflecting on our own choices and and the narrative that we're pushing? So that's a very dangerous world, I think, because when professionals are no longer nuanced and they no longer question their choices, it's very hard to know who to trust. Now, I don't have enough time in my lifetime to be an expert on every subject in the world, 
But now I'm a little bit hesitant about seeking advice from anybody because now I can see how people are educated, or I should say indoctrinated. I'm very cautious about who I take advice from. And now I want to see a long-term track record. So I think what's, what this is going to do is I think this is going to be damaging to the reputation of a lot of professionals who did not engage in sufficient self-reflection. They did not question the narrative. Even if the question the narrative is right, we still have a responsibility to question it and dispensed blanket advice to everybody and silenced anybody that opposed their opinion. I just think that the damage is going to be of such a big magnitude. As it is, we didn't trust our corporations and we didn't trust our governments. Now we can't even trust our professionals. And I think that's a pretty dangerous world that we're heading towards. It absolutely is. And then you also have to take into consideration, like you say, the further we dig, the more we start to see affiliations, dogma, incentives. So again, it plays into this person's idea that if they're trying to get this a research grant. I remember that when I was in chiropractic school, there would be people that would have to sort of fudge the numbers or, or round up or down to try to get this sort of grant to be able to continue to do this sort of study of, of whatever they were trying to do. And again, the, what dies in that is the truth. The collateral damage to that is the person that you claim to be taking care of, that you claim to be looking out for, that you claim to be this expert in, which is allegedly why they get into this in the first place. But we can see how that can become skewed. And then when they think very short term, when they're thinking just tactically instead of strategically, again, maybe for a couple of years, things are fine. But then eventually as things start to unravel and it becomes obvious, now these people don't really have a leg to stand on. So again, in the long run, there's really nowhere for them to hide. And that's why it's so important for us to think, like you and I were saying before, we've known each other for years and both of our messages have been consistent. It's rock solid. It doesn't change because this is what we do and this is the truth that we've experienced in ourselves. We question it. I try to find ways around it all day, but it comes back to that same foundation, that fundamental truth. Even that idea that you were discussing earlier about how you found yourself needing to cultivate the warrior spirit even more so during this time, because in a lot of ways you were mentioning that there's a lot of comfort for you in your life, but yet if that's all that we have, then we're ill-prepared for any adversity that shows up, whether it be the rain or whether it be a person that's trying to break into our home. I mean, we have to have this warrior ethos and then live it in such a way that we can put it into play because we need it when we need it. We don't have the luxury of saying, oh, I should have been sharpening my sword earlier. It doesn't help us in the moment. And especially as a man, I think I have to have the capacity to be aggressive and to be violent. Keyword being capacity. This is why I was concerned about the fact that I was becoming too comfortable physically, emotionally, financially. And as you said, that would mean that I'm ill-prepared to be able to deal with any significant adversity and I need to have the ability. And so what I did was I said, well, I've got to strengthen myself mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So I have to build within me the capacity for aggression and violence. Obviously, you need to be wise enough to know not to use it. But there are times when you may need to use it as a man, and predominantly it will be if you, when you are protecting or defending. And that's the only time in the civilized world a man would need to use violence. But I do feel that it's better to have the capacity to violence and not have to use it than to be in a position where you need to use it and you don't have the capacity. Because who knows? I mean, are we potentially in some sort of a psychological war? I mean, these days, wars are not like they used to be. Are we in a, in a situation where... If we can't trust our professionals and we can't trust some of the people who are supposed to be look, looking after us, doesn't it warrant for us to have the capability to be able to defend and protect ourselves? 
and to be able to deal with significant adversity should that occur. We're hearing lots and lots of people are now going through mental health issues. It's understandable. We've been very comfortable for so long. And that's why I like your message. And that's why I really believe in your message. And we had a get together for the successful male recently. And my question to all the men was, what's one word that represents masculinity to you? And all the men shared what they thought masculinity was. And then they asked me, what's your word? And I said, hardship. And so I've become very conscious about the fact that in a civilized world, in the modern society, where I have been able to successfully establish a career for myself and build a business, there is not that much hardship anymore. And one may assume that that's a good thing, but I also see that as a risky proposition for myself, because times like this have now convinced me that things can change pretty quick. And you've got to be vigilant. You've got to be aware. You've got to be self-aware, but you've also got to be aware about what's happening around you. You've got to be able to look at the macro and the micro. And that's what one of the problems that I have with the way people are being educated is they're very good at the micro analysis, but they're not very good at the macro analysis. It's like they completely miss the picture what's happening around them. So that also then further confirmed for me, I can't really rely on too many people because if they can't even see what's happening, could I call upon them if I need? And so it further reinforced for me the requirement for me to be self-sufficient in every aspect, not just financially, because even that can be taken away from you. If it was, what would happen? Would I lose a part of my identity? I mean, I've anchored myself and been very proud of the fact that I'm an expert on wealth. What if that is stripped off me? What if the financial outcomes that I have created and the business outcomes I have created for myself, what if they're taken away from me? What do I have? And so I started to really question if we have an excessive attachment to the external identity, but we haven't developed, we haven't spent enough time working on the internal identity, we're at risk. And so for me, I'm glad because I've been feeling that way for a number of years, but I think the last two and a half, three years have definitely confirmed for me without a doubt that if you are not resourced now, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and financially, you're in deep shit. And you know, I don't mince my words. I've been ostracized from many circles and I've been criticized and attacked, misunderstood. And the people who usually misunderstand and ostracize me never really take the time to understand why I'm saying what I'm saying. There's zero interest. So I don't really care if you ostracize me from a group of individuals who are not even interested in seeking the truth. I personally don't care. You can ostracize me. I don't really want to be a part of that group. But if you're somebody who is a truth seeker and you want to know you're a critical thinker, I'll have a conversation with you. I'll be openly transparent about my views and where they're coming from because I have the ability to articulate my perspective. So I'll do that. I will show that respect to you. If you show the respect for truth, if you don't have any respect for the truth, I'm sorry, I've got no respect for you. I don't feel like I'm obligated to explain my point of view to you. So that's where I'm at. And I think you've seen that I'm not afraid to openly talk about things. But again, I'm very cautious about the fact that before I open my mouth, before I express any point of view, I must ensure that I have done sufficient research and independent analysis before I express myself so that if we were in an open debate, and so many times I've offered for people to come on a social media debate, I've said, look, if you disagree with me, why don't we have an online debate? Let me demonstrate to you. Why don't you find the flaws with my argument and I'll expose yours? And there's nothing wrong with it. It's not a conflict. I mean, it's a debate. We can have a civilized debate without a character assassination. So if you're really game, why don't you tell me exactly why you think I'm wrong and let me expose 
the shortcomings in your thinking and the gaps in your thinking. But nobody ever takes me on on this, right? So I'm more than happy to have these kind of debates. And even now, look, I'm, I'm very conscious. I've spent over 500 hours researching what's actually going on, just trying to get to the bottom of it. I've come up with three or four speculative possibilities, and I do say they're speculative because I'm not 100% certain. And I'm very conscious about the fact that am I potentially becoming biased? There's the possibility that I am myself being influenced by my own emotions. How can I judge my own biases? How can I ensure that I'm taking an objective view to what is currently taking place? And so I've put myself through that scrutiny as well. And I have, in many cases, when I've had a conversation with people, I've said, look, there is a likelihood that I could be wrong. But unfortunately, it's appearing more unlikely that I'll be wrong about this. And to be honest with you, I would much rather be wrong about this than be right. I don't want to be right about what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing, because if I am, then we're all screwed. And for me, it's more important that we're not screwed than for me to be right. I'd rather not be right about this. So I'm not really coming from a place of, let me show to you how intelligent I am and how much I know. I'm I'm not coming from that place. I'm coming from a place of genuine concern about what is going on. I just feel that so many people can't see that and they instantly judge you and they think that you're opinionated without really understanding where we're coming from. And I expect that from a lot of people. I expect that from the masses who don't really engage in critical thinking. But I didn't expect that response from professionals because they're considered educated. But I've got no doubt now that you can be a professional and still have no ability to think outside this way. That's exactly it. And even back to your point about violence, violence is not always the answer, but it is always an option. And if you do not have the capacity for violence and somebody else does, then you are ill-prepared. It doesn't matter how correct you are if this person wants to try to use violence for whatever reason they want, whether it be to take something important to you or your family or something materialistic. So a lot of people will feed into those platitudes, this whole notion of turn the other cheek. Well, there's a time to turn the other cheek and there's a time to slap back twice so that they do not hit you again. Because if you do not have the capacity to do that, you're just a coward. And now you're going to be even more indignant in the process because you have no other answer for this violence or for this potential of violence. And so we see that all the time. So people that do not have that ability, we see them feeling very weak as well in a verbal confrontation or actually, like you said, a debate. Debate doesn't necessarily mean confrontation. It means you're telling me something and if I am open, I can learn about this as opposed to saying, well, I have these sound bites that I can just rattle off. I can't cite my source. I can't tell you what it is, but this is how I feel. Or they go for the content without the context, as you would say, because I get it all the time too. People that come at me sideways about how can you call adversity a gift? It's like some of these things, if you have to explain it to them, they're never going to understand. But at the same time, there are people that really want to know what you're talking about, what I'm talking about. And so that's what we have to do. We can't save everyone, but the people that do want this material will continue to go out and find it, which is why I'm so glad that you're out there We have to be beacons. We don't have the time to throw a life vest to every single person. But if we can be that beacon that is consistent, as we were mentioning, now it's easier for people to find that. And now that light is reflected on every person that's looking for this. And that's what we should be doing as opposed to being concerned about a vanity metric or getting good at things that really don't matter in the long run. And that's why it's so important to have that warrior mentality now, understanding what's truly a priority. It's easy for us to prioritize everything and get nothing done. Just like you were saying before, everybody that has this very broad idea, they want to go a thousand meters wide and a millimeter deep. 
It should be inverse. It should be this very deep dive on this subject matter or this area of expertise or this self-knowledge that we're trying to uncover. And if we're very honest with ourselves, we can find a lot of those things, but we have to be willing to be humble because humility stops humiliation. But very few times do people even get close to a point where they're actually questioned enough to start seeing that potential of, man, maybe there's an area here where I'm blind. And that's why, again, you and I have hired coaches. We've gone through all these materials because it's called a blind spot for a reason. It's called something that we can't see. That when we have that person that truly knows that's an expert, they've earned the expertise because they've done it long enough. Just like you were telling me in an interview that we had many years ago, you were saying that there were so many people in the financial realm now that don't even have their own shit together. They're essentially trying to sell you something that makes them money, even though it's not in your best interest. And so when you saw that, it was like, well, how in the world are they even qualified to have an opinion in this process? That's right. And that's why I don't really regard, because everyone's got opinions. And we know, we know that opinions aren't facts. Feelings aren't facts. A lot of people who don't really want to do the work around researching and critically analyzing information will want others to regard and respect their opinions and their feelings. And, and I always say, not all opinions are the same. I'm sorry, but you know, whilst I respect you, I, I don't respect your opinion unless you can demonstrate to me that you have really done a lot of critical examination around it. Why should I respect your opinion? And you should really be not be spreading your opinion without critically analyzing, because how do you know you're not indoctrinated? Now, I'm not saying that I'm not indoctrinated. I'm not brainwashed. I think we're all brainwashed to some extent. But the question isn't whether we're brainwashed or not. The question is, is our brainwashing conducive to us and society or not? That's the real question. So if your brainwashing is resulting in you making poor decisions and it's resulting in a more dangerous society, then that brainwashing needs to be replaced with positive brainwashing of some kind. Now, I'm, I'm certainly brainwashed in many ways. I mean, there are many things that I do that I've learned from others. It can be argued that I'm brainwashed. But the question I need to ask myself is, is my brainwashing, number one, is it serving me and my family? And secondly, is it actually conducive to a better society, a more moral society, a more ethical and more respectful society? And they're the questions that I ask myself. And look, it's, it's becoming harder to get to the truth. And that's why we've got to really question everything, because it's so easy to form a belief and not be able to differentiate it from a truth. Now, I do feel, though, and this is just my opinion, I do feel that there is a bit of a subtle attack on masculinity. Interestingly, I would have never talked about this whole thing about being a warrior five or seven years ago, because... I had bought into the notion that there is really no need for a man to be masculine or aggressive or a good man is a nice man and a kind man. And so I had bought into that. And I kind of realized that that comes from a feminist agenda, which seeks to label all or majority of aspects of masculinity as toxic. And I think it's very unfair because as men, I don't think we can be happy unless we are achieving and conquering and going through hardship. We don't really get a joy from sitting on the fence. And look, the reality is, I don't know if there's ever been any feminist country in the world that has prospered. I mean, I don't know if there has been. It doesn't appear that there's any in history. We don't see any patriarchies under attack. And certainly there are elements of toxicity that I acknowledge. I mean, I don't think men should be controlling of women, but I do think that men need to be in control of themselves. I think that's important. I do think that there is a case for men to be well-framed, for them to be serious, for them to not feel guilt about accomplishing and conquering, and that's what we do. Why are we getting men to feel shame about that sort of stuff? Because here is what's actually happening. Some sections of society, as men are becoming more and more feminine, 
which is what a lot of feminist groups have been insisting for, what's actually happening is it's destroying the chemistry between the genders. And so it appears to me that in all countries where a feministic attitude is becoming more and more prevalent, the birth rates are starting to drop. It doesn't surprise me. After all, it destroys chemistry between the genders. What people think they want and what they're attracted to are two different things. For me, I feel that a country has, or a nation or a group or an organization has a great opportunity to succeed when we acknowledge the fact that men and women are different. Yes, they're equal, but they're different. Let's not confuse equality for sameness. They're not the same. I think when we realize that they're different and we celebrate those differences, I think that creates more chemistry rather than denying the polarity that exists between the genders. And I never believed in traditional roles for men and women. All my life, I've kind of felt that there shouldn't be any traditional roles. Men and women are the same. But I'm starting to realize, have I potentially let my wife down by not being the man that I'm supposed to be? You know, I'm starting to question those things. So there is this aspect for me as well that with everything that's happening in the world, is it possible perhaps when men become weak and when men are made to feel guilt about their masculinity, that we allow for corrupt and evil forces to spread faster because men are not really being men anymore? And it kind of ties in with what's actually happening globally. I do feel that when I look around, I see a lot of men that are afraid and they're insecure. And they feel that being accomplished and being successful is all about greed and materialism. A lot of them have positive associations with financial irresponsibility. And they have negative associations with financial success. It's bizarre. Like, it's almost like every time I talk about money and wealth, my engagement on social media drops. It's almost like I've said something wrong. Hey, I'm espousing financial responsibility. I mean, that's responsibility. That's what we're supposed to do. It, it represents maturity. What is the problem? Why are so many people offended by this? What's the alternative to promote financial irresponsibility and dependence on the government and dependence on your families? Really? You think that that's honorable? So I'm always surprised by people's attitudes. And I, again, I see a lot of indoctrination there. I don't see people really questioning their choices and how that's going to impact them. You know, I've always been very convicted about my message around financial responsibility. And I really do believe that all individuals should be financially responsible regardless of gender. But I do feel that a man really needs to take control of his finances as well. Because if he doesn't have that part of his life in control, he will have less choices. And that's when insecurity kicks in. And once insecurity kicks in, that's when he starts to make substandard choices. And he starts settling and he starts rationalizing your choices. And that's when you become weak. And so it's all interrelated for me, money, masculinity, what's happening in the world. To me, it's all connected. I can see the connectedness between these things. People may see them as different things and different issues, but I kind of see the interconnectedness between all of this. And that's why I haven't been on many podcasts lately, because people really want a very sort of tactical conversation, very narrow conversation. They're unable to comprehend things that are highly nuanced in many cases. I'm not trying to make myself to be intelligent here by saying this. I'm just, I'm just finding, I can tell by the way people respond to open conversations that don't have an agenda. They don't respond very well. Most people will jump on a podcast and say, well, look, I'm going to learn five steps to do this or six steps to do this, which is a very tactical and superficial way of thinking, really. So I'm trying to sort of go back to some of those old-fashioned values or traditional values. But I do think that I can see the wisdom in them now. 
I'm trying to be a better man and more responsible and stronger man. And I do believe that it's part of my job is to be stronger. And I think with the way the world is right now, I think we're going to need that. And I think we need the truth more than ever before. I absolutely agree. And even to what you were discussing earlier about masculinity and toxic masculinity, if it's only in one area, anything in excess eventually becomes its opposite, no matter what it is, if we have so much of it. Having said that, true warriors are very multidimensional. The samurai was able to draw the sword, do a tea ceremony, have a poem, do a floral arrangement, in addition to going on campaign to defend his country and his lord and his family. So this is what we have to be looking at. And the other part is, just like you were saying, me being able to wield a weapon is great. But if I do not have the weapon of financial independence, if I don't have the capacity to help somebody in my family or somebody that I care about or a group that I care about, have the ability to write a check and make a difference there, that creates that true impact. Everybody wants to create influence. They should be focusing on impact because the impact is what creates the influence from that. But if you're not doing that, then it's just, again, superficial. It's going to be something that is maybe one layer below what everybody else is talking about. And then the importance of this is something that people forget. Being strong is so important, not because you're stronger than somebody else, but because it gives you the ability to have empathy, to have compassion, because you don't feel threatened. You don't feel like, well, I can't do that because I'm afraid that this person will think that I'm weaker, or I'm afraid that this person will do these other things because they don't understand what true strength looks like. And this is, again, like you say, why... You're lifting weights out in that very primal area where it's just you, the air, and the blood, sweat, and tears on the iron. That stuff never lies to you. It doesn't change. It is what it is. And if you're not able to get there and get some calluses on your hands and sweat a little bit, then it's not going to help you in any other arena of your life. And that's why we have to have that. And that decision that you make creates gravity in everything else that you do. And when we understand that that gravity impacts everyone else around us, it will change the way you see everything you do from every drop of water that you put in your body, every time you fast, every time you meditate, every time you work out, every conversation that you have. If you have that kind of urgency, it will make everything that's truly important even higher elevated. And the things that don't matter, that shit fades away anyway. And that's what we should be doing much more of. I love that. That is pure brilliance, by the way. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's extremely valuable and confirms for me that I'm on the right path with what I'm trying to do here as well. So I appreciate that very much. You absolutely are. When is your book out? Can we pre-order it now? It's sitting with the publisher, and I think it's expected um, June or July is the release. I didn't write the book as an attack on anybody. You know, I was conditioned myself through the institutions, and I spent a number of years in the corporate world. But I have the ability now to see my past indoctrination. And so it's not a, an attack on professionals. I think it's just more acknowledging the fact that we do have a problem in the way we are taught to think, because we are taught what to think. We're not really taught how to think. And we make a lot of logical errors in our thinking and decision-making. And we can't improve as a species unless we first recognize where the problem's coming from. So that was my the reason for writing this book, we see all forms of indoctrination. We see religious indoctrination as well, cultural indoctrination. They all exist. But indoctrination can become dangerous because it can divide people. It can separate people. It can segregate people. It can make one group of people extremely hostile towards another group. And so for me, it's not attacking a particular individual. It's looking at the belief system that we have around education and how education is delivered. So the book comes out in July. I will have a launch in Melbourne, obviously. And this is a bit different book to what I've written in the past. I mean, I've been very interested in sort of money and personal development and all of that sort of stuff. This was a little bit different because how I've looked at my educational journey is it started with 
through academic literacy, academic education, professional education, financial education, business education, personal development education, spiritual education, religious education. And the more I sort of educated myself at different levels, I started to realize that you start to get a macro view of the world. You start to see how things are working. You're no longer in the matrix for the first time. You're outside the matrix, watching the matrix, and you can see the whole construct now. And when you see the construct, obviously, the first inclination is to want to tell the whole world, but the world's not ready for it. So I felt that a book might be a good way to get that message out in the first instance, at least make people realize that, look, can you see the indoctrination? So if somebody's heavily opposed to the book, they don't want to read that book. I mean, what's that saying? That indoctrination runs deep right there. You're not even prepared to look at a piece of information that's going to challenge your worldview. So I think it's a bit of a litmus test for me to see how many people will actually want to read the book and how many people will kind of dismiss the book because it's going to challenge their current worldview. But I don't think we can evolve unless we are prepared to challenge ourselves. I mean, I do it regularly. I have to regularly do it and admit that I've got blind spots and if things aren't working out, I am the problem. Even though the first inclination is always to blame someone else or something else, the only reason I've been able to evolve as a man is by eventually coming to the realization that I am responsible. I even now think that men are responsible for 90% of relationship problems. Your wife cheated on you, you're the problem. I know I'm probably going to get attacked for saying this, but my view is everything that happens, I'm responsible. Now, am I saying I'm to be blamed? No. I'm saying I'm responsible. I'm not to be blamed because blame is negative, but responsibility is positive. But what happens if I take responsibility? If my wife cheats on me, my first inclination is to say, hey, you bitch, you ungrateful bitch. First inclination, right? Instinctive response. But I hope that as I develop and evolve my mindset, I'm able to sit down and go, hey, she cheated on me. It could be a number of reasons. Maybe I didn't take care of my appearance didn't take care of my personal hygiene. Maybe I didn't take care of how I communicated. Maybe I wasn't emotionally intelligent. Maybe I did not select my partner based on mutual values. And the moment I start to self-reflect on those elements, what's actually happening is I'm not taking the blame. I'm actually becoming better. Now, as I become better, if my wife cheats on me and I go back into the dating scene, guess what? I'm a much better man. I've got more value in me because of me reflecting and taking more responsibility. Whereas if I continue to stay in that mode of, oh, she's an ungrateful bitch because she cheated on me, I remain weak, remain in the victim mode, and I'm no longer attractive as a man. So we don't do it for others. We don't take responsibility for others. We take responsibility because we want to develop our character. And that's the thing I realized. I realized that as a man, I, and that's why I've got that statue, we do carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. But that's not a bad thing. We automatically assume that's a bad thing. No, it's not, because you need strength to carry it. Yeah, it's a huge honor to have that capacity to be able to have that strength. And even so, having said that, even me, you talk about the victim mentality. When I was injured in that bed, I was waiting for anybody and anything to come save me. But anybody listen to us understand, the minute that I saved myself was whenever I took responsibility. The minute that I stopped waiting for somebody to come do the work for me, that's when I save myself. So if you're in a place right now where you're a victim, because there's a difference, there are victims and there are casualties. A victim is a person who is injured in combat or in the real world, and then they give up. They stop fighting. The casualty, if you're injured on the battlefield, I pick you up over my shoulder and we're running, you're still shooting with your weapon as we go. Because why? You're a casualty, but you are still fighting because you are 
a warrior. And that's what warriors do. So if you're waiting around, hoping somebody's going to give you a handout, hoping somebody's going to tell you what the answer is, then a lot of ways you will be indoctrinated. In a lot of ways, you will continue to be victimized. And that victimized idea becomes your identity. And now you're in the corner. And now no matter what happens, you're going to use that to frame everything that you do. And even when you start feeling optimistic, even if you feel a little bit better and you try to come out of that role, all those people that you've been bitching and moaning to about being a victim, they will push you firmly back into that little box because one, that's what you want. Two, you've been telling them this whole time that that's how you want to feel. And so they're just corroborating those decisions that you made. And that's why it's so important to make the hard decision, to make the courageous decision, whatever that may be, whether it be a leader, firing somebody, getting a divorce, staying true to yourself, your own beliefs, all these things are imperative. And if we allow those small things to slip, it will bleed over into everything else that you do in your life. I'll never forget that now that you've told me that's a great way of explaining this concept. So even I think that would apply in the case of if you're a man and you've just found out your partner's cheating on you, you can be a victim or you can just be a casualty. I like that. And I think we've all been casualties in our lives. And I think we could have easily chosen to be, be victims, but we didn't. And I'm glad that we didn't because we won't be here. I mean, we won't be having this conversation. You won't be doing what you're doing. I'm, I won't be doing what I'm doing. So I think we've gone through that practical experience to see the benefits of that philosophy. I'm very proud of you, Marcus, because I have seen over the years, I mean, how consistent you have been. And I think as men, we want to see some role models around us. So you've been a role model to me in many aspects in a world where we don't really have as many role models. Men don't have any role models. And we can't even speak the truth now without being censored or attacked or attacked or being misunderstood. So I think it's important now that men are able to have those masculinity-based conversations without the fear of repercussion and without the fear of being labeled as toxic. Because I don't think we're heading towards a better world by giving up on those masculine characteristics that are so needed. So I appreciate the platform that you have created for these conversations. And I hope I've been able to bring some value to the great work that you've been doing. I think let's keep the conversation going. And, you know, I'd love to hear from people who whether you agree or disagree. But remember, if you disagree with me, I'm more like very likely to invite you into a, a forum where we can have this conversation, which I'm happy to have. And I'm not saying I'm right in everything. I'm certainly not saying that. I'm just questioning things. You know, I, I try not to rush to conclusions and I, the ability to be able to hold yourself in a space when you don't know the answer for prolonged periods of time, I think is what we need now. We don't need to rush to a conclusion, but we do need to start asking questions. Absolutely agree. And again, there's no victims, there are only volunteers. Rob Alhatra, where can we learn more about you? Where can we find out your materials, your courses, all the things that you have coming up? Where can we find you? Marcus, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and Instagram. So just my name, Ron Mahotra. You can just check me out. If you like the book that I'm talking about, just keep an eye on Amazon. Brilliant. I cannot wait to get my hands on that. I cannot wait to get to dive deep into this and learn some stuff about where my blind spots are, where I am allowing cognitive dissonance to get into the way of truth. And I cannot wait for our next conversation, my friend. It's been an honor as always. Thank you so much, Marcus. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba inner circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.